right. Rogue Table Talk number 25. Quarter I'm, century. Quarter. That's mm. right. It's celebration. Mm. So we're going to have a... Uh, Jacob is going to in, inject some celebratory music uh, into this part <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say for 25, we might let him say something, but I guess... Yeah. Yeah. No, we no. did that before. Yeah. He... He did chime enough. Yeah, he does say things. We just don't amplify it or record it. So <laughs> we do hand him the next step, quote yeah. unquote microphone, yeah, quote unquote microphone, like a Mister Microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm Chad. This Mike. Yes. And uh, we are finishing our series. Jesus unexpected. Jesus and politics. Mm. The best for last. Come on. The least controversial. And before you turn it off, uh, <laughs> you'll uh, want to hear. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what would Jesus say to the current? No, we're not doing that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, so we're going to use a passage um, that um, the Pharisees uh, tried to trap Jesus with a question that was of political import or impact, which some, some of us might relate to. Maybe you had some holiday dinners where somebody tried to trap you into a political uh, statement or whatever. Uh, but this happened with Jesus. Uh, and we're going to just, we're going to read that passage and sort of dive in and uh, see where it takes us. Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. First of all, that's good. That's good. <laughs> if somebody walks up to you on Sunday after you preach and starts off with that, yeah, you know something bad's coming. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. If this is the this is the prelude, yeah, prelude yeah. punchline is not good. <laughs> Tell us then, <clears throat> verse seventeen. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, "You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me?" Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Yeah, so, uh, awesome, awesome yeah. passage, awesome exchange. So uh, they show up. It's the religious leaders are trying to trap him. They bring along the Herodians which from Herod government officials yep. there for Jesus's answer on taxation. And so what is the trap? Like, what's the dilemma they think they're having him in? Right. Right. Yeah. How, yeah. What is the trap? What's the setup here? Right. So I think they maybe uh, assume he's going to say you don't need to pay your taxes or, and that would be, you know, getting him in trouble with the Romans or Rodians are there to report him, so on, so on. Or that you need to pay your taxes, which is unpopular with the people because the taxes were seen as, you know, theft and so on and so on. Government, nobody likes the government. So they think they're asking him a question with no good answer. Yeah. Right. Pre presenting him a uh, right. either or. Right. Yes. A bad choice. Um, and he says, you know, here's the, this is the, this is the coin uh, Caesar's inscription is on it. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. And they're amazed. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about, I think, is what does he mean by it? What does that mean? How does that flesh out in our lives? There's lots of different ways probably we can uh, think about it and talk about it in a lot of different 
aspects of that, but what does it mean to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's, as I think the, the older text um, uh, speaks of. Um, and so maybe to start, let's start with like, where are we now in our political moment? Yeah. Like, how does it feel to you politically? Well, I think, uh, and, and this is really, th- this conversation especially is really your forte. So I, I'd love to hear a lot of your thoughts on this. But um, I think we are similar to um, the question that's set mm-hmm. up for Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're in a time where it feels very much like a trap, mm-hmm. like we're only presented with this option. Mm-hmm. And if we say yeah. this, it's this kind of trap, or we're presented mm-hmm. with that option. If we say that... Two bad choices. It's two bad choices. It's... Um, you know, I'm going to be with this people, therefore those people will hate me and I'll be with those people and vice versa. So it feels very much like a trap when Jesus, how can we coexist with those, with that answer? Is there a bigger answer? Mm-hmm. Is there another answer right. um, yeah. that he invites us to? Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, with this past, I think it was this past week or maybe uh, a week ago now, two weeks ago, um, there was the Ellen and, and George in Laura's, you know, the, the Ellen and the Bushes, uh, the, the kerfuffle, the, the controversy where uh, just NFL games on TV, it's uh, Cowboys. It's America's past. America's, it's America's team, America's, man. Right. Like, <laughs> Going to watch what's, the game. What's wrong with that? It's Cowboys <laughs> and the Packers. And, you know, up in the owner's box is Ellen is sitting next to George, George uh, W. Mm-hmm. and Laura uh, Bush. And actually saw that. I mean, I, I didn't actually see very much of the game, but I actually saw that part of it. I think I saw it live. It might, I might've saw a replay. I don't remember, but you know, whatever. I didn't think, okay, that's whatever, you know, uh, that's the sort of person you'd imagine, you know, these people would be the kind of people you'd think would be in an, in an owner's box, right? Watching a, a game. <laughs> uh, but then our, a lot of people in our culture reacted strongly yeah. one way or the other, where on Tuesday she had to come out on her show and issue a statement and basically explaining, you know, yes, I disagree with them, but uh, I think we should become friends with them. We should be kind to everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because she got a lot of pushback from people on the left of the political spectrum, where she's she's more liberal uh, in her politics, um, that how could you be friendly with George and Laura? Now, interestingly, he got a lot of, they, you know, the, the Bushes came in for some criticism as well how can you be friendly with this this liberal yeah um and it's I think, interesting isn't it weren't they friends prior to this yeah, and yeah. he was on her show is that true yeah yeah i think that's right i mean it's like they're actually they are actually are some sort of acquaintances or friends or whatever um uh, but even if they weren't they're just in a social or brought together like invited by different people at the same time or whatever here they are in a you know, in a social gathering, in a party, in a whatever you find yourself in. And if you're a known person on the other side of the political expect- spectrum, it seems like the expectation from some on whatever my side is, whatever choice I choose, or I, we need to shun, we mm-hmm. need to reject, we can't be friendly, we can't be whatever, because that's sort of where we are at the moment. Um, Keller, Tim Keller wrote an article uh about Christians and politics. And one of the things he, I, I'm going to quote him here because he said something that's interesting. Um, it, cause it corresponds, he's, he's agreeing with you actually, uh, Chad, he says, so Christians are pushed towards two main options. 
One is to withdraw and try to be apolitical. The second is to assimilate and fully adopt one party's whole package in order to have your place at the table. Neither of these two options is valid. And I think, does that, is that the way it feels like to you that either the game is so um, heavy and fraught and angry and divisive that you just are out and you don't say or think or do anything political yeah. or you sort of join a side. Yeah. I think it does feel that way to me. It feels like a difficult um, balance between recognizing politics as having an important place in the story, um, that it's not a result of the fall, but it's practically how dis- people make decisions of what's you know, how do, how do you have streets and stoplights and what should we do with this money? And that's politics and it's all good. I think personally, I think it'll be here, uh, in the return of Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, but it, but it's, we're fallen. So we take it and it, it gets twisted, but it's hard for me because the current, uh, the form of politics isn't bad, but the spirit of politics right now is, uh, it's egregious. It's, um, it's violent, it's heavy, it's, it's very toxic. Mm. Um, and, uh, we'll get to this a little mm-hmm. later on, but why is that so powerful for people? Mm-hmm. Because it's toxic to look mm-hmm. at it and to to be into it. And I think too, maybe it's hard to be, like Keller says, um, is there another option? Well, I think um, people want to feel protected. So if you just go wholesale into one side of the tribe, you get that protection from mm. that group. That's a good point. And yeah. the other side. But if you if you agree with part of the conservative stance or maybe part of the liberal stance you you don't really get protected by either mm-hmm. like yeah. that ellen and george they took friendly fire right that's an interesting thing i think to, right. to yeah. see yeah i do think that that so that speaks to a reality of politics is part of in our culture uh it can be part of our identity and for some people an important part of identity so to actually agree with somebody from a different point of view seems threatening to my very person, right? Mm. Like you said, I do think there's like, there's a tribe that you join and you're protected by your tribe and you get to attack the other tribe. And that's sort of um, maybe what we like about tribes yeah, uh, or whatever. Now, um, you said, you know, politics is not a result of the fall. Um, let me, let me, let's dwell on that for just a moment. What do you think about that? Uh, I do think that's right. I think though, we look at something that's so messed up and it's easy to look at and listen, America's in in a bad place, but there are countries with, with, with work, worse, more corrupt, uh, governments than ours. Uh, and it's easy to say, well, that must be, you know, if, if Adam and Eve never ate that apple, you know, we wouldn't have um, governments, which we wouldn't have politics. And uh, I don't agree with that. I mean, I agree with you that it's not a function of the fall of, which makes us sort of uh, ask the question, what are politics? When we say politics, what do we mean? Yeah, help help define uh, that for us. And I think, you know, politics really is just how do groups of people, the polis, how do we make decisions together? How do we agree together on... Uh, you know, is it okay to steal or not? Sure. How do you make uh, laws? Yeah. How do you make laws and how do you decide even things like how schools should be set up and, um, 
you know, which streets should be fixed. Yeah. And so you can think of in the next age, in the eschaton, when Christ returns, we, we, we won't need laws against stealing, mm-hmm. but we probably will need to, like, how, when are we going to do this and what day we're going to do that? We might need to make decisions together as a people. Now, of course, Christ will be the king, and it will, you know, I don't know what the process will look like, but there's nothing inherently evil in groups of people getting together to make decisions. Well, so, um, you know, struck me as even people um, in different countries without electricity or running water or they're still hunter-gatherer, mm-hmm. um, they still have politics. Yeah. They still have to get together and make decisions and what's best for the community and how, right. do we, how do we do that. And the parable I'm reminded of is the parable of the ten minas, as mm-hmm. it's sometimes called, and I think it's in the book of Luke. You're faithful with this amount of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and he talks in a futuristic you. sense, I'll give you 10 cities right. to rule over. Right. So there's some hierarchical structure right. in the right. new heavens and new earth. Right. It talks about a you know heavenly city and ruling over and you know will judge angels. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know what that one means. Uh, but it means something. Uh, and so I don't, I, we're not just going to float around and you know play harps or whatever right. you know it's so there will be actual probably stuff to do it seems like uh just like there was stuff to do before the fall the garden, on right. earth in the garden so um and because we're made you know we're made for that and um i do think it's to say politics isn't inherently evil so then there perhaps is a a good way to carry it forward there perhaps then is a good way for me to carry it forward. Perhaps there's maybe even what is my obligation then as a political, as a citizen of this particular country in this particular time and place. I think those are all good questions for us to ask. So it it seems like what you're talking about is sometimes people take, um, when they're overwhelmed, I can get overwhelmed with the political situation. Um, A, I don't know enough. I don't know that much. It takes a lot of work to stay informed. I'm not quite sure if I'm being fed bias or not. Um, So there's that. But sometimes a passive approach is like, well, God's sovereign. He's in control. This is all going to work out. I'm just going to put my nose down. And it seems like you argue against that in the sense of there is a redemptive move towards politics. There's a, as you call it, the false rejection or the, you know. Right, the false rejection of politics. And so I do think there, I think, um, yes, we can say God's sovereign, I'm going to just throw up my hands and back off and, you know, let him figure it out. And in a way that sounds spiritual. It sounds like I'm above the people who are super passionate about politics. If I say that, right. Might be. It's over spiritualizing. That, yeah. Um, and that's the, that's one of the attractive parts of that. Uh, and all the other stuff you mentioned that it's difficult uh, to, you know, remain informed and it's difficult to understand what's going on and you have to do some work there. Um, but you could also um, you we you could also say God is sovereign, and therefore I'm going to put my hands up and not help the poor, or mm. not share my faith, yeah. or you know you can say that about God is sovereign, uh, but He still asks in His sovereignty He asks me to do something, right, uh, and to be part of His mission and to carry His kingdom forward. And so it's sort of up to, and that's where the church is like, that's, you know, we together, we have to be on a mission together, pray for one another, encourage one another um, to feed the poor, 
help the sick, you know, counsel the grieving, um, share, you know, God's grace. And uh, we don't, we wouldn't probably say, some people maybe do, but I'm going to put my hands up and let God be sovereign there. And the same thing though applies then to our, our public responsibilities together. Yeah. Just as a side note, theologically, I typically interpret sovereignty not as controlling Mm -hmm. but is in control and he's free to do what he wants and what he wants to do is enact human agency right that's right in his sovereignty he calls us to act yes yeah and i think that therefore government is one way in which god intends to do some good in the world yeah that's good i think that's worth it doesn't always happen of course and there's bad governments and corrupt people and People misuse God's intention and design and authority, uh, but it doesn't mean that um, that God doesn't have a purpose that He wants to see accomplished, right? And and we see that um, in in Romans thirteen, Paul is writing uh, about you know the government, and he says one it's a it's a very surprising passage I think to us, Romans thirteen one through seven. Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He said it twice. There you go. Right next to each other. Like, I don't, maybe we're not hearing it. So just so you'll know, the government that we have, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. That sounds, that last part sounds uh, very much like a uh, recapitulation of Jesus. Yes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Yeah. That, uh, and I think that, I, you know, it's important to remember that uh, Nero is Caesar when Paul writes this. Right. Right. Nero, who will, you know, have Christians as being used as torches in his garden. Nero, who persecutes Nero, who ends up killing Paul, mm-hmm. ending Paul's life, quite likely. Uh, in Jesus' time, it was Tiberius, who was no party. And then Caligula was was in between Tiberius and Nero, who was renowned as the most evil, heinous, worse of Caesar that there was. And so it's not like Paul has some falsely idealistic view of government. Um, like, well, if he had our, our government, he wouldn't say that. Well, right. you know, it, it basically what he's saying applies to no matter what government you have, that the people who are ruling the country are doing so on God's delegated authority. Now they can be completely misusing it. Uh, just like a parent has God's delegated authority yeah. for children, you can completely misuse it. And and they will, and, and they we will. will. And it, there will be a misuse. I wonder too if it says something about us that 
um, we struggle to f- to see the good that it does. Yeah, we struggle right. to see the justice that does get right. enacted. We struggle right. to see yeah. all the positive things that government has helped us with. Right. There's some really good things going on. Right. Um, yeah. And there's why yeah. it's one of the reasons why people want to come to America. Yeah, that's right. Is because of that's the right. government. Yeah, go somewhere else and you'll you'll appreciate. Yeah. Uh, you know the the good parts of 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 what we have here. I was uh, it makes me think of um, there was a reporter. I think he wrote uh, Black Hawk Down. Uh, it was a guy who wrote Black Hawk Down, and I think he was some he was a reporter at the time. And so that's in some Mogadishu, Somalia. Yeah. Uh, when it was pretty much straight up anarchy and it's not much better than that now, but it was just basically nobody's in charge and it's basically warlords controlling different buildings and blocks. Mm. Right. Uh, and he spoke on a college campus to his group of people, which included a bunch of anarchists. And he said, <laughs> if you guys want anarchy, just go to Mogadishu. Yeah, go see That's it. what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's easy to say stuff like that, assuming theoretically, yeah. Assuming that, we, 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 we presume that if our government disappeared that, you know, it wouldn't become like, you know, The Purge or one of those movies are where it's just totally Lord of the Flies. Um, but all that said, of course, the government can and will misuse authority, but that doesn't give me license to not give taxes, revenue, mm-hmm. respect, and honor. And I think that's partly, so we either get into that, um, you know, we either... Uh, become cynical, maybe because we thought, maybe because we put too much hope in the government and the government disappoints us and that really sets us off. Uh, It it does, you know, I think of Augustine wrote uh, one of his classic books, The City of God, and he wrote it when Rome fell. Mm -hmm. So he's in North Africa writing when the Vandals and and so on are are sacking Rome. And at that point in history, it's interesting because um, it, people had a lot of faith in Rome because it became a Christian city at first, you know, under Constantine. So this is a hundred or so years after that. And so Christians were like, you know, if Rome falls, basically all is lost. And, uh, he wrote city of God to say, you know, actually we're, we're citizens of city of man, but we're also more profoundly citizens of city of God. Mm. And how do we live in this current government in this current place in this certain political realm how do we live as citizens of the city of god mm. at the same time like we're not we're both right well i'm a citizen i'm a citizen of the u.s i'm a citizen of the state of missouri but i'm a citizen of the city of god and how does that and that's the, really the question of while rendering to caesar what is caesar's what does it mean to render to god what is god yeah, that's really good and i don't think the binary mind can really grasp that very well. I don't think the dualistic mind understands that very well because can you hold both of them? That I have allegiance to both, but my primary allegiance is and loyalty is to the kingdom of God. And so if that ever comes into question, that gets the first card. And yet I'm a citizen, so I have another allegiance, a Mm -hmm. secondary allegiance. It's, it's, I think about it as a, a husband and a father primary allegiance is to my wife. My mm-hmm. kid, I can't let my kids come in between that relationship. You obviously know the breakdown there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not an either or. Right. It's a, it's a, I'm in both. I wear both hats. Right. And so to render unto God involves all of the renderings, right? We have, yeah, that's right. Cool. That the manner in which I render unto Caesar should fall under 
my rendering to God. It should be pleasing mm. to God. Like I need to render unto God the way I render unto Caesar, if that makes any sense. Yeah. That it's not, um, it's not removed from the spiritual realm. It's not removed from the big story we're living in. Yeah. It's not removed from who we are. It's part of who we are. And I do think that um, we one of the impulses to check out of and to falsely reject politics is the inability, the seeming inability or difficulty in doing that. Mm. Like, how do I be a political person and, and be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, <laughs> gentle, right? How is, do it I grow possible? In, is it possible? Right? <laughs> yeah. Is it possible to be a politically active person and to grow in Christ like this? Now, of course, you know, theoretically, we know the answer must be yes, yeah. but in practice, it seems maybe so difficult that some people, you know, check out. Uh, but I would say the current movement in our culture is almost the opposite instead of false rejection, it's false religion. Like we've yeah. elevated politics, yeah. right? To this huge degree, like the all important. That's the other trap. That's the other the false, trap. The rejection right. or the false religion. False religion where we do come to, to identify completely with one side or the other and uh, that we, you know, we over identify with one political arm or the other political arm and then we tend to as we as believers would will tend to spiritualize one and then yeah. demonize the other yeah but the secular world almost feels like does the same thing where it is morality it's good it's evil i mean it's what you saw you know people who criticized alan was because george w is a bad man mm -hmm. and this vice versa it's not because he did these bad things that we disagree with politically, right. it's he's evil. He's bad. He's bad. And now you're bad. And now for yes, hanging out with him. Now I'm disappointed in you. Are you one of the, are you going to join the bad tribe? Yeah. Are you leaving the good tribe for the bad yeah. tribe? And I think that's the undercurrent, you know, for us is it's hard not to fall down one side or fall down the other. Uh, and for the over identification, no matter what, 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 uh, you know, left over identifying with the left or over, over identifying with the right, it then creates this momentum yeah. and this almost addiction, right? That, yeah. uh, there was one, I, and I remember there are times where I've been super invested in, I remember Bush Gore and the recount and the hanging chad. And, you know, there was a website where you could like update the vote count, you know, as they were recounting everything. And, um, it's super seductive and it's super partly because you feel like, oh, it's an outrage if this thing happens and that outrage feels good mm -hmm. and, you know, feels righteous in some There's way. There's a power to There's it. power to mm -hmm. it and a draw to it. And so, you know, I do think we've seen these periods and it's, you know, lately it was, you know, last year or so, the Kavanaugh hearings for one, one side or for the other had the same sort of idea where some people just, it was like a Rorschach test of, pro or anti, but people, either way, people were just, I mean, people watched it for hours. Some yeah. people that I know watched mm -hmm, it for hours. Mm -hmm. And I don't think watching news for hours is a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. It's just, you have to kind of check your heart as am I being sucked in yeah. to one side or the other? Uh, and I heard this pastor talking about this and he said, basically for a while there, I had a porn problem 
but politics was my porn. Mm-hmm. Like I, he was addicted to it. He mm-hmm. would check it at night. He would, you know, check it in the morning. He would in between whatever he would check, you know, and I like what, it, whatever that is, I think we have to be honest. That's sort of probably not what Christ wants to happen with my heart. Yeah. And it's probably not his intention for, yeah. um, and it, then because of that, I get sucked into, I, I get sucked into, I will say it this way, I get sucked into a smaller story, uh, but it doesn't feel like the small, it feels like an all important, mm. all or nothing. Like this election means everything. This issue is everything. If we lose this, if we lose that, or if this gets approved, or if this gets denied. And when we do that, I think we buy into the cultural story that there is no big, we've forgotten the bigger story. And for them, they don't have a bigger story, maybe. Right. So this is the biggest right. story. This is the biggest story. Yeah. Do you think, there's so much to even ask about, but do you think that part of the um, answer, part of the invitation of the gospel for Christians is you talked about not completely with identifying one side or the other is a little bit back to the Keller article you presented uh, is to recognize that if I'm faithful to the scripture, I probably will have my feet in both mm-hmm. camps, yeah. in both parties. I will probably have conservative viewpoints on marriage and sexuality and kids, um, but I will probably have liberal viewpoints on social justice and the poor mm-hmm. and uh, other economic mm-hmm. issues. What do you think about that? Well, I think however you divide those up, I would say that if all of my what I think is right in politics lines up completely with one side, Mm -hmm. then I would begin to doubt myself. Right. So Keller's a conservative. So he's talking from that viewpoint, but either way, however you divide it up, whatever, whatever, if I'm completely lined up with one side and completely against the other side, well, that seems rather convenient. Yeah. Right. That that's like one side happens in a secular way to have it all right. According to scripture, and the other side happens to have it all wrong. Right. And that's probably not true. It's not true. Uh, and so whatever you think is right or wrong about whatever, then, okay, what does that mean then? It just means I can't join one side or the other wholeheartedly. Yeah. That I have to take each issue, issue by issue, and look at it with a different lens, look at it through the lens of God's mission and God's you know, love for people and God's care for people and God's desire to you know, expand his kingdom. And I do think um, one of the things that we can tend to do, I think outrage plays a big part in uh, joining one tribe completely. Because it feels like, as you said, there's sort of safety in being outraged together Mm -hmm. against these other people. Now they're outraged at at us if we join a tribe. That's just the way it goes. Uh, and so there's something that feels good. And I think in some ways, some of the things you're outraged about are right, probably. Mm-hmm. Some of the things you're outraged about um, are, you know, correspond with what God's outraged about. But very likely some of the things I'm, because it's in my tribe, some of the things that I'm turning a blind eye to or justifying or explaining away, God's outraged o- over as well. Yeah. Uh, and so God's outrage, God's concern probably doesn't line up yeah. according to political. And so I'm going to be out of step with God if I join one side or the other uh, completely. And I do think there is a place where I was having a, a conversation with somebody in my family. It was like, what? So I am outraged sometimes. So what is there a place for outrage? Mm-hmm. And I think there, there is. Uh, I mean, we do live in a culture that um, we have outrage that's sort of 
um, performative and sort of, you know, my outrage is for your approval of me, sort of. Right. Like it's expressed in that way. Like I'm outraged at this, aren't you? Uh, actually, I'm more outraged than you. No, I'm not. No, you're not. I'm, you know, I'm more <laughs> I'm outraged. the most outraged. I'm the most outraged. <laughs> um, but yes, we should look at the injustice of the world and what's broken in the world. And whatever your position on what immigration policy is, we should look at suffering people on the border and it should break our hearts. Right. We should have compassion. Even if we don't know what the right policy is, and you know, genuine Christians could disagree on what the right policy is, um, Christ's concern transcends politics, mm -hmm. includes it, but it transcends it. And so uh, as I look at the Psalms, there is a place for us to say, you know, Lord, this is an outrage. Lord, this is an injustice. You know, punish those people, fix this, whatever, but then to give it to him yeah. as something that I, I can express, but I don't have to carry it and own it forever. It doesn't have to define me. Right. You're, it's communal prayer. That's what the, you know, you're referencing the imprecatory Psalms. That's right. The Psalms, that, right. Which are a lot injustice. of them, right? Yeah. A lot of the Psalms and praying against injustice. You're praying against the evil that you see in the world. Um, I think a dose of humility on, do I really see what's evil in right. the world? Have, do I have a clear shot of right. what's true injustice or am I just, am I outraged at a statement yeah. or a position right. as opposed to the practice that's going on right. or the real injustice of, you know, these people not having enough food and clean water or the, yeah. the social system. I was with a friend in uh, South Carolina and um, they live in a very poor neighborhood and they the government won't put more money into their school system in that area simply because of where uh, the median mm -hmm. uh, amount of income. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems backwards mm -hmm. that the government right. would put more money in the school system there and mm -hmm. other places. Right. And, and I've heard from quite a few people, the school system, their struggle. So yeah, what am I, is that fair? No, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that, you know, I'm, I'm not in that situation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. maybe these people can't get out of that situation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, can I take that outrage of that's not right? Mm -hmm. You know, how can right. we pray for it? Can we do anything mm -hmm. about it? Yeah, that's like what action would God have me take here? And in, in America, we can be involved citizens, and there's nothing nothing wrong with that. Uh, I do think some of the performative outrage doesn't do anything. Like it's just right. so that you know I'm outraged. That's the porn thing for me. That's the, it doesn't. I, I, yeah, it's the neg. The, I'm addicted to negativity is one of the things like mm -hmm. the the mind psychologically will latch on to negative thoughts and uh it takes i've heard psychologists talk it takes 10 seconds to hold on to a positive thought for it mm -hmm. to stick yeah otherwise it falls off so that's the that's a little bit of the okay not wrong to watch politics all day or mm -hmm. tv or whatever but why right. like what is it what giving is me yeah. is it a is it like a porn issue where mm -hmm. i'm i just love the outrage and i'm addicted to the mm -hmm. visceral reactions mm -hmm. and fighting i don't know yeah and maybe it feels like you're doing something in a world in which a lot of things are broken and uh he's given us the 35 minute thing already okay we got a lot of we got a lot wow. of ground to cover all right um so yeah does it feel like i'm doing something it feels good somehow that yeah. i can you know, rail against the machine. Um, I, so, okay, what do we do about it? We've talked about yeah. the problem a lot, but yeah. um, I do think, so one of the things this, the problem might come from is this lack of living in a bigger story. Because even culturally, I think when it was, when America was more, at least more nominally a Christian nation, 
there was a sense of there was a bigger story and politics then were, were sort of procedural like how do we help people best within this bigger story and um we in other words we weren't deriving ultimate meaning from it um and this is an author I like Andrew Sullivan he's writing in this recently he says if your ultimate meaning is derived from religion you have less need of deriving it from politics or ideology or trusting entirely in a single secular leader it's only when your meaning has been secured that you can allow politics to be merely procedural so what happens when this religious rampart of the entire system is removed i think what happens is illiberal politics in other words it gets more hateful it gets more high stakes because it becomes the arena for good and evil it becomes the ultimate test of whether i'm a good person or a bad person it becomes this ultimate story and so part of our antidote then is we have to realize we're living in a bigger story yeah. that's the second part of you know rendering unto caesar what is caesar's we got to kind of figure out what that means for us in america and so on but rendering under god what is god's is well that's everything yeah and the sense that i am living in a bigger story that the people on the other side of the political issue um some of them are going to be with me in eternity and there will be no political disagreements that are fundamental identity is united in Christ not divided by politics and it, when we forget that we buy into the smaller story and we forget the bigger story we forget who we really are and we put winning or losing the next election ahead of whatever God's calling us to do you know I'm not going to stand before Christ and answer for you know who won or lost the next election mm -hmm. um, i'm responsible for my vote as one part of rendering unto god everything that's god's like what am i doing about the world how am i growing in, in transformation how do we change the world which is i think one of the questions that is good for us to think about because i do think the secular answer to that question is well you change the world by politics mm -hmm. i mean right you get new policies get new policies yeah, you, vote you get for new it. leaders you vote for it that's how you change the world and yes that might be one avenue for changing the world but that's not we see none of that in the new testament yeah. jesus never said it's important to pass good laws no he never says not or he never said it's a bad thing you never see paul write about that you don't see the world change the world completely changes in a few centuries be not because of laws but because of hearts were changed yeah uh and i think we see a great picture of this in acts 19 where the power of the gospel paul's there a long time in ephesus and i think we talked about this uh under uh under another um uh, you know we talk about culture and and uh uh, talked about Paul in Ephesus and just the transformative, having these sort of conversations. And he had these conversations and these interactions with people and, and the gospel became more influential and powerful. And people saw the power of the gospel and people there who became believers, they had these, you know, magical scrolls that were worth a lot of money and they came and they burned them. And it was the place where the, the temple of Artemis or Diana was, and they sold a lot of these silver statues, which is a big part of the economy. And of course, Christians stopped buying them. And it was those actions put the city in an uproar. Yeah. 
that it disrupted the economy because yeah, we don't buy, we don't believe that anymore. So we're not buying it. You know, there was never, nobody ever said, Hey, we need to ban the sale of Artemis statues. I mean, that never there was wasn't a rally or a protest. Yeah, there was never a rally. It wasn't a protest. They just stopped buying them and the world changed. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's not the only way the world changes, but it is the way in which we're shown in scripture and the way in which we see in a lot of other uh, arenas where God moves perhaps across the grain of bad governments, maybe use as bad governments as a tool to change hearts and yeah. to advance the gospel. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if that's what's happening now, but that's, I'm sure he's calling me into that. Whatever that bigger story is, he's, my question is to myself, what does that look like for me? What is my bigger story? Yeah. And how am I living it out, right? And am I absolutizing the current American political situation to make it seem like, I'm constrained by it. Yeah. I, I think to me, the city of God, city of man mm -hmm. conversation is still so relevant mm -hmm. because if I'm truly my first allegiance is city of God, then I'm going to be first and foremost concerned about my Christ-like character, mm -hmm. praying for the leaders, right. uh, sprinkling grace and salt in conversations, mm -hmm. as the New Testament says, right. um, thinking that, evangelism is probably the the best foot forward as opposed to does this person vote like me yes. you know like caring about those things mm -hmm. first and foremost um and seeing really being passionate about kingdom not as a rejection of politics like well i'll just do this because mm -hmm. the other doesn't matter but in light of yeah. okay right and i can yes. write for policies vote. i can also love people i can be passionate yeah. about those other things right yeah, it's interesting because we talk about, you know, hey, talk to somebody who's different than you and get to understand them and reach out and love them and Christ loves despite your differences. And so and we, in a lot of other cultural areas, we'll say that but when it comes to politics, it seems especially hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But because yeah, we want to say, yeah, but they're really bad people. Yeah. <laughs> they're the problem. <laughs> they're the problem. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the things, and uh, I think maybe we'll, we'll link this into the show notes. There's a uh, a manifesto written by a Chinese pastor, and we'll probably close, uh, get come to close to closing with this, um, where uh, in China, the church is, the Christian church is exploding in growth while it's being persecuted more and more heavily. And the more it grows, the, the tighter the persecution has been getting. Um, and so this pastor wrote this, in a sense, manifesto or message to his church basically anticipating that because of his opposition to the government's persecution of the church, that he's going to get arrested. Uh, and basically he said, if I disappear for 48 hours and you don't know where I am, yeah. go ahead and release this. Uh, to the, and so some of, I'm going to quote from some of this and we'll link it in the show notes. Um, and he, what, it, you know, what he says is that all acts of the church are attempts to prove to the world, the real existence of another world. I think that again, He's living in a bigger story. He's trying to show the bigger story to the people of his country. As he says, this is why I'm not interested in changing any political or legal institutions in China. I'm not even interested in the question of when the communist regime's policies persecuting the church will change. And so this is what this pastor is saying. Wang Yi is his name. And he's in, he's in prison. We're reading this because he was in prison. He's, this was a December of last year, and he's, he's still in prison and may never get out. He continues, if God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church 
to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures, to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and through this to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans, for his plans are always benevolent and good. Dang. Wow. Dang. Yeah. If if it's better for the kingdom and for the gospel that the government persecute the church, well, I'm joyfully submitting to that because God's plans yeah. are being done and people are coming to Christ. That people, you know, what he, what does he want to have happen? He wants the Chinese people to despair of their futures and go through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment and through this to make them know Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a guy living in a bigger story. He's living in a different story. He continues, if I'm imprisoned for a long or short period of time, if I can help reduce the authority's fear of my faith and of my Savior, I am very joyfully willing to help them in this way. So he's talking now to his future captors that as I'm imprisoned, if if I can help reduce their fear of the faith, then I would be I, I would joyfully submit to God's plan for that. Then he says, those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief towards those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom that I might take the gospel to them. So he's praying for his future captors, yeah. you know, that is now his now present captors, that he's concerned for their souls. Uh, that they will they will stand and give an account, that they will be questioned by angels. And he has compassion and a grief for them. And so this is <laughs> this is a guy who has compassion and grief for his the Communist Party officials who will imprison torture because he's concerned for their souls. But we can't be kind to people on the other side of the political debate. Yeah. I mean, is that not ridiculous? He seems very filled with uh, the words of the New Testament. You hear a lot yeah. of his stuff just almost as a very close echo right. to a Paul or a Peter of, right. well, whatever this is for, let it be used for your glory. Whatever yeah. the suffering is, let it advance right. your kingdom. I'm in prison right. for the gospel, but may more people get That's to right. know. Yes, it does. It sounds like... He's very consciously living in the big story. And partly for him, he doesn't have a lot of hope that the government's ever going to do anything differently. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's not even his concern. But I do think that, you know, what is his, his grief, if you will, his outrage, if you will, is that people are being limited. You know, the government is, is keeping people from coming to know Christ or making it difficult for them. That's the thing he's working against. That's the injustice he's trying to uh, address. And that's another thing that I would say um, about the passion that we feel. Yeah, if my if my injustice, if my outrage only runs one way and it never runs towards me, and if only it's it's only kind of horizontal, but it I never I never take it to the to God, and I get a sense that He is also grieving, that He's also grieving towards the the, the future captors. Uh, that, you know, that, 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 
the kingdom moving forward is the story I'm really living in. And that's the only thing that really will matter. And whether I'm imprisoned long or short, I want to influence my, my captors with the gospel. And that's how the world's changed. Yeah. I mean, that's how Paul changed. I mean, that's how God changed the world through Paul. And I don't know that we're you know going to go to prison, but w- the question then is, what does that mean for us to live in the big story? Mm-hmm. How does that come out as I interact with people in the political world, in political discussions? And what does it not look like? What does betraying the large story look like? And sometimes I think we betray the large story by living, by making the political ultimate, mm-hmm. by buying into the cultural view that this means everything. And, and instead of, despite all of this, I can have hope that God's moving forward and he's calling me to be a part of that uh, through politics or other. And that's sort of what is rendering unto God? What is God's? Well, it's this, right? Living sacrifice, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to crawl up on the altar and offer myself and daily die, daily take up my cross, daily deny myself so that his will will be done. And I can trust that his will is good, whatever happens to the government. Just like Wang Yi is saying, whatever happens to the Chinese government, God's plans are benevolent and good, and they'll go forward, even if it's not what the government I want or yeah. I would choose. Uh, and I just think that just so is so humbling uh, and challenging that what actually this guy is doing is a lot harder than what we have to do or what we're called to do. Or even it's certainly harder than withdrawing and putting our arms up and saying, well, God's sovereign, I'm not going to worry about it. And, you know, you, you don't hear that from him. And also it's a lot harder than joining one side or the other. Mm-hmm. It's sort of how do I, how do I live out this bigger story and call out this side and then call out that side, you know? that's going to be unpopular, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And can I live in that place of unpopularity? That's, I think, rendering unto God what what is God's. I think that's what we're called to do. Um, So I, I think as the election comes forward, hopefully we can sort of, you know, the debates and the things and all this stuff that's happening, we can keep it in a certain context. We can be informed, we can vote, we can be involved politically. But while we're doing that, as we're rendering unto Caesar, we're also rendering that unto God and living in this bigger story. Uh, So that's our challenge, and I think that's what we'll leave you with uh, this week. Uh, We're over our time, and uh, we're going to jump in uh, next, next week with something different. See you then. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.